0: I'm Edana Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. The growth of an application leads to changes in various areas of its architecture. Shreya Ramani, senior software engineer at BuzzFeed, explained how the growth led to changes in the microservices architecture and in the way these services were being secured. We talked about single sign-on, also known as SSO, and BuzzFeed's SSO open source project, Shreya also explained the process of releasing code as open source. Shreya Ramani, Senior Software Engineer at BuzzFeed, is joining us today. Shreya, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you for having me. Today, we're going to be talking about single sign-on and security, particularly at BuzzFeed where you're currently working. Before we get into that, I wanted to get some context about BuzzFeed.
1: Yeah, sure. So BuzzFeed is an independent digital media company.
0: It started
1: in 2010. It started off with just, with being mostly known for its listicles and then grew to support different media contents and also grew its tech team to be able to supporting all of these different digital media content.
0: When BuzzFeed started, it was a single application. What was this application? Was it the news platform or?
1: The first product that existed was Buzzfeed as a website. It was basically created to encapsulate this concept of things going viral. So a lot of the content and posts that were created were viral posts with listicles or something like that, that would end up being shared across across communities. I guess.
0: What do you mean by uh, listicles?
1: It's just like a term for those like bold like lists of different articles and then like little blurbs about every single like thing in the list, I guess.
0: Like 10 tips for, uh, you know, your software job interview or something. Yeah, yeah, like that. Okay. I want to talk now about single sign-on. I saw you're giving a talk at a conference Called Securing Services with SSO, which is Single Sign On. Can you explain what Single Sign On means?
1: Yeah, so I guess Single Sign On is not necessarily what is normally thought of as Single Sign On. We ended up going with SSO. We call it SSO also because we like calling it the SS Octopus, but it actually is more of a centralized server for having an, the OAuth proxy flow.
0: I see. And what would be an alternative to this, just to sort of understand the context of what could be done before using a solution like this? Yeah.
1: So some other alternatives to SSO could include using a VPN. So I guess maybe I should go back a little bit about what SSO is actually. So SSO is a centralized OAuth proxy and the purpose of SSO is specifically for securing internal services. So internal tools that have like a list of authorized users that can access these different services and having a centralized configuration and to be able to manage and operate all of those services that are being secured by SSO.
0: And what is something that's prior to SSO?
1: So yeah, so some other alternatives to SSO, some of the things that we actually considered was potentially using a VPN. So that would mean that an employee could connect to the VPN and be able to access whatever service they might have within the private network. Another option would have been to have some type of, to punt on this whole entire concept of SSO and have service owners bake in authentication however they might see fit in their applications. This could be having some type of proxy that sits in front of that application, but SSO created a a streamlined workflow for us, for developers to be able to bake in authentication for their internal tools.
0: To understand this, I want to specifically talk about what's going on at BuzzFeed. You wrote an article titled the process, open sourcing BuzzFeed's single sign-on experience. And at the beginning, you mentioned that at BuzzFeed, the microservice ecosystem began to outgrow the existing auth patterns. Can you talk about what this microservice ecosystem consisted of? Just some examples of services. Yeah.
1: Sure. So to begin with, we had In our microservice ecosystem, we had these tools that we only wanted employees to be able to access, such as we have like a video publishing tool. We have a deploy tool that we use to deploy services within our microservice ecosystem. We have like a video editing tool. And so these tools continued to grow as the company continued to grow and before you having SSO we actually used an open source project called oauth2 proxy that's written by bitly and this embodies this concept of an identity aware proxy which comes from google's beyond corp philosophy and the central idea of this mechanism is that authentication and access control is based on the user's identity rather than what network the user is in. So when we started using Bitly's OAuth2 Proxy, which embodies this philosophy, it worked really well for a while while we only had a few internal services that we were securing. But soon we started to, the number of internal services grew to hundreds. And the way that um, OAuth2 Proxy works is it's a service we have a service that sits in front of the microservice that's being secured and it runs the OAuth2 proxy binary. And so this means that by having 300 internal microservices, we would have 300 individual OAuth2 proxy services corresponding to every single microservice. And so this didn't really scale for us because users would have to log in, have to re-authenticate with every single microservice and click through this Google flow which I guess enforced bad security practices because users would blindly click through these login flows.
0: You're describing that one of the prior implementations, user would have to constantly be logging in. They will get this login pop-ups. What are some Cases when these pop ups would show just to understand, you know, the flow from, from the UI or the application to get some additional context.
1: Yeah, sure. So say we had a user that wants to access our deploy UI. That user would log into the deploy UI because there would be like sign in with Google UI in front of it. So that would happen
0: automatically. I'm trying to understand, or if you could explain, so a user goes to BuzzFeed and they click viral, like with a pop-up show there, or is this just internal?
1: Okay, these are just internal tools.
0: One of the prior implementations, you described users having to constantly log in to use the microservices. Can you give some examples of this workflow when they have to authenticate?
1: Yeah, sure. So, say we have an internal employee who is producer and they have shot their video and they want to upload the edited video to ultimately be uploaded to Buzzfeed. They might use a tool. We have tools that allow producers to be able to do like have this whole process be pretty seamless and these tools are secured. So, Only employees who are authorized to use these tools can use them. So if a producer were to want to get to one of these video tools, they would be first directed to log in with Google. And then after logging in with Google, they would be able to access the tool and be able to use it. However, if they were to want to log in to another tool that might show their stats on this video, after it has been published, they would have to re-log in with Google and go through the authentication flow for that service as well, since every single service is secured by its own individual OAuth2 proxy service, or was secured in this way in the beginning.
0: So these are all internal tools, right? Yeah, these are all internal tools. And what did you say was the main observation of the previous implementation that Was it that the number of services that would have to be in front of the microservices, was that that it was going to grow a lot?
1: Yeah, yeah. It was that it was going to continue to grow, and which would lead to a lot of boilerplate services in our repository. It also was not a great user experience and could potentially lead to a security vulnerability in that users would blindly click through these login flows that actually ensuring that they were logging into the
0: appropriate service. In the article, you also explain how various open source solutions were evaluated, and at the end, the team decided to build their own SSO solution. Can you talk about this evaluation process? Does it normally go by using those open source tools and then seeing how that works, or more about researching them and finding reasons why not to move forward?
1: Yeah, I guess there were not many open source tools at the time when we decided to write SSO that had this same concept of an identity-aware proxy that still was centralized. I think we also didn't want to stray too far from our current workflow. So things like SAML, they were considered, but we ultimately decided to build our own.
0: Can you talk about some of the improvements from the solution that was built in-house?
1: Yeah, so with the solution that was built in-house, a developer, if they want to add a new service that is an internal tool, they would add this to a central config file that we have in our monorepo. And then after redeploying SSO, that service would be automatically secured by SSO. And this also allowed for one single click-through sign-on every 15 days or so for users. So they wouldn't have to be for any service, any internal tool behind SSO. So it created a centralized way of managing and maintaining our microservices that are internal tools.
0: I see. Were there specific metrics that you and the team were looking at when you were developing your own solution? What do you mean by specific metrics? Just how you were tracking how this solution was performing. Was it just the number of steps for developers or or is that really not necessary? Because that could also be valid that there isn't really like a list of metrics or anything.
1: I guess we have some criteria internally in terms of how we build most of our infrastructure. And so we try to make sure that it provides consistency, that there is consistency across the organization in these tools that we create so that we have a unified developer workflow that we can just document and make it easy to onboard new developers. From an operational standpoint, we want our infrastructure engineers to have a pretty simple operating experience and have that workflow be as automated as possible. And we also want to have granular access control. And ultimately, we want the experience for the developers using these tools to be as pleasant as possible. So in that way, we were able to, I guess, kind of justify that SSO was hitting these goals. Okay. We do have metrics tracking baked in too, but I don't think that's kind of different from like the metrics that we used to, to justify. Yeah
0: this project got open-sourced. In your opinion, what are some of the reasons why somebody might consider open-sourcing a project?
1: Yeah, I guess some of the reasons why we decided to open-source SSO was because, well, first of all, it was born out of an open-source project, so it seemed natural to give back to the community. It had been a double clone of OAuth 2.0 proxy to begin with, and then we created this nested authentication flow with this double clone of OAuth 2.0 proxy. So having that something that was from an open source project. It kind of just made sense to open source it. And we also talked to a lot of people from other companies that said that they wanted a solution for centralized authentication because this was a common problem for platform engineering teams with a microservice architecture. And we kind of just hoped to be able to tackle this problem in the open. So those were kind of some of the reasons we decided to open source SSO. We also Knew that OAuth2Proxy had a large and active community of users, so we felt confident that we could achieve similar traction with SSO.
0: What does it involve to make a project open source such as this one?
1: Yeah, there were a lot of, I guess, there was a lot of effort that went into making sure that this open source was successful. I guess with SSO specifically because it's a significant piece of our security infrastructure. We also had the additional challenge of making sure that we mitigated the risks surrounding open sourcing, something that we use to secure all of our internal tools. But the things that we focused the most on were documentation, we had um, a quick start guide that we focus a lot of time on to lessen the barrier for entry to use the project. And we think that having this quick start guide was part in the success of getting people to start contributing and using SSO. We also had a security review to mitigate these risks, or to try to mitigate these risks, I guess, which we ended up having a bug bounty. We ended up using our bug bounty program that we already use at BuzzFeed called HackerOne. And we actually contacted a few known hackers and gave them access to the code beforehand to see if they could find any vulnerabilities by having the two side-by-side. We also hired a third-party consultant company to pen test SSO and provide code review. And we also did like a, we had an in-house security consultant who did an architectural review of SSO. So we tried to make sure that we felt prepared by having the security audit process, but also understanding that security is something that is very difficult to get right. And we acknowledge that unknown unknowns do exist and we would have to continuously adapt.
0: Do you know what some of the things that they can look for are in terms of when you go to someone and you tell them, hey, I'm about to open source this, do you remember some of the things that they consider in terms of security?
1: Yeah. The security consulting company, most they did a pen test and a code review. So they, they basically asked us, that we gave them access to the code for a one week review and gave them access to like an unstable cluster where we had a couple of email addresses that were allowed and authorized and then some that weren't so that they were able to do some side-by-side testing to see if they could break anything. They didn't actually find anything. They also did some like code review and they found some go some things that we could have done better in terms of the, our code cleanliness, but in terms of the actual security issues, they didn't really come up with anything or find anything. But we actually also had our in-house security consultant look at this, and she did like an architectural review of, of SSO. And one thing that she looked at was our encryption algorithm for how we encrypt our session states. Our session states are a key part of how the process of identity-aware proxy works. It We encrypt... Our session states would have the user email and the access and refresh tokens that are generated from Google. And she basically found that this encryption algorithm that we were using was a known encryption algorithm that was not resistant to a certain type of attack.
0: I see. And one thing that you mentioned was code cleanliness. What are some of the things to look out for in this?
1: Yeah, I'm like trying to think about what the like the security review was. And I remember the one thing that they said was like not something that we even thought was... I guess we spent a lot of time with like trying to figure out what was actually a priority in terms of open sourcing.
0: Well, I mean, in general, like outside of the security realm, what defines that the code can be ready to be open sourced? Well, I guess anybody can open source any code, but I'm talking more in the sense of good quality code. Yeah, this is
1: actually an interesting thing that we went back and forth on, which was when are you actually completely prepared to be, or when is it actually open source ready? And I guess that some people were of the thought that, you know, it needs to be, I guess nothing can ever really be perfect. So you can't ever have the perfect code base. And I think that the way that we approached it was by having, by kind of time boxing it a little bit. So there were certain things that we did think needed to be changed just to be able to make the code base approachable. For example, we ended up going with using the Go standard layout, which is a layout file format layout for how how to structure your your Go projects. And we thought that was important because when we had moved both these services from our normal, like our internal development environment and moving them out, we ended up seeing a lot of code duplication and there was no real structure around how everything should be Organized. So having that layout was really, really helpful. But I think most of the issues that we tackled were things that were either documentation oriented or things that were security risks, like the issue that our security consultant brought up, or they were things like making the code base more approachable. I guess the, the biggest thing to prioritize is just having something that is approachable for someone to be able to come in and look at it and understand how they can potentially contribute. But I think having a perfect code base is not really realistic or necessary because the whole point about having something open sourced is that it's in the open and we're all working on this project in the open.
0: In your opinion, what are some ways in which we can spread the word about our open source project. You mentioned for this one in particular that there are various organizations interested in a similar solution. So how can you just put it out there and easy to find?
1: Yeah, I guess our approach was to write a blog post about it and try to give some talks, even if they were small tech talks in small or big tech talks, or just like try to speak as much about the product and kind of like get it out there. And those two approaches, worked pretty well it was also kind of about having everyone else in the tech community who we know in the tech community spread that this is something that exists with internally i think a lot of the employees at buzzfeed talked about it with other people who might work at different companies and that's kind of how we ended up getting people to start using it but i think also the blog post was a really big really important part of that because it announced that this was this existed
0: well Shreya. Thank you for taking the time to come on the show. I've enjoyed talking to you about SSO and what's going on at BuzzFeed.
1: Yeah, thank you so much for having me on the show.